welcome to School Psych Podcast. Really excited to have you tonight. Hope that everybody fared well with their, their holiday and their break and is, you know, returning safely uh, shortly to school. I know that I'm kind of waiting for a potential phone call for a snow day. And so I'm, <laughs> I'm excited for that. So if that happens to, to pop up while we're live, I'm gonna, we're just going to pause for a minute and, and, and you know, celebrate. <laughs> but we'll see how that goes. But my name is Rachel. I'm a school psychologist. I'm in Maryland. I'm going to pass it over to Rebecca, who's going to tell everybody how to participate tonight for this awesome follow-up topic. Rebecca. Welcome, everybody. I'm Rebecca, and I'm excited to have you here on this night before the first day of school in January. Um, if you are watching us live, then if you're signed into your YouTube account, you can just comment right alongside the alongside the video, we're all looking for notifications and we can even share those comments right on our video screen, which is a pretty cool feature of our platform. But if you'd also like to comment or ask questions on either of the Facebook pages, you can comment on the School Psych Podcast. Pa ugh, sorry, speaking is new for me this week. Um, <laughs> uh, the School Psych Podcast page on Facebook or School Psyched, your school psychologist. And you can message. So that's a more private way to comment or ask a question or share what's going on in your district or coming up for you this week. And also on Twitter, at Podcast Psyched is our handle. And you can use the hashtag Psyched Podcast. So I look for that as well. And now I'm going to hand it off to Eric, who's going to introduce our fabulous returning guest. Thank you, Rebecca. Uh, hello, everyone. My name is Eric, and I'm a school psychologist also in the state of Connecticut. And we're excited to have Dr. Imad Zahir back with us again. Um, we spoke to him a couple of years ago and talked about uh, ACT, the um, uh, Acceptance Commitment Therapy. And we've done some diving into that uh, ourselves, learning as school psychologists what ACT is and um, have gotten to speak with uh, Dr. Stephen Hayes and gotten to learn a little more about ACT on uh, through other webinars and podcasts and books. And so we're excited to have Dr. Zahir back with us to revisit this with us and talk more about how we can apply this in our practice as school psychologists. And just a little bit about Dr. Zahir, if um, you did not get to hear about him during his first podcast with us. Um, he's also had some uh, career changes. He's now at St. John's University uh, from Montclair State uh, University in New Jersey, now in New York. So Dr. Zahir is an assistant professor of school psychology in the Department of Psychology at St. John's University. He is a pediatric school psychologist and has worked on numerous projects in clinics, hospitals, and public and alternative school settings that involve direct and indirect consultation services across individual, group, and systems levels. His areas of interest are in developing assessments and intervention for children with emotional and behavior challenges and creating comprehensive school-based prevention programs by integrating school mental health, social and emotional learning, and school-wide positive behavior interventions and supports. So welcome, Dr. Zahir. It's great to have you back. Thank you for having me. It's great to be back, even though I'm a little anxious to follow up Dr. Hayes on the topic of ACT. <laughs> Uh, but I'm excited to be here, especially on the uh, first or second day of the new year. Uh, yeah, we're, we're happy to have you here. Well, I know um, you have some uh, PowerPoint slides for us. Should we jump into that or do, do we want to do a 
a little intro about what ACT is or anything quick, or or do you want to cover that in the in the power? Sure. Yeah, I'll, I'll, so I'll, I'll share my slides here and just let me know if you can see them. So I'll just put them in presentation mode. Yes. Okay, perfect. So I, I did cre create some slides just as a reminder for ACT, especially if, if someone's watching that um, the previous two episodes on ACT itself. Um, so we are revisiting this topic. So um, very, very quickly, I did want to wish everybody Happy New Year's um, for those that are joining us. Um, and I'm also, um, you know, there's no snow that's going to be happening here, but um, I'm also rooting for the snow for wherever you are if it, you know, gives you an extra day for break. Um, but for today, I actually wanted to see if we can revisit ACT in a slightly different way. Uh, and especially because it's New Year's or, uh, or around New Year's, uh, really looking at aspects of values and goals and, and how we can use actually metaphors to carry this forward uh, in terms of as we go throughout our school year uh, and our, our calendar year. Uh, so I know right now this is the time where a lot of us are setting um, you know, various goals, New, New Year's resolutions. Um, and I think ACT actually provides us a unique framework on how we can actually approach some of those uh, type of tasks, uh, but maybe in a slightly different way. So I figured I'd just, I can do a quick overview of ACT itself, just as a reminder, and then we can kind of go into these topics. Um, I did kind of plan a stopping point after each one of these topics or values and goals and metaphors so in case there's questions or if, if we want to have any discussions around it. Um, but I also wanted to make sure we walk through a few um, practical tools that people can use uh, in putting these ACT practices in place. Uh, so just as a very quick reminder, um, the one thing that we really focus on when we're thinking about acceptance commitment therapy is the idea of psychological flexibility. So the model in ACT is really focused on uh, enhancing our flexibility, our psychological flexibility, which is defined as the ability to experience and notice uncomfortable internal content like thoughts, emotions, or memories, um, and still persist in actions towards what or who we value. Um, and this model actually looks at psychological flexibility uh, in many different ways. So this triangle here with all these uh, different ideas uh, indicate that we can break up psychological flexibility into processes about how we open up to our own experience. Um, so diffusion usually indicates how we can unhook from experiences that might catch us. Uh, and in you know, CBT terms, this might be a thought that we're stuck in. Um, so we can diffuse from that thought and, and become more flexible. Uh, and then in terms of acceptance skills, this is oftentimes um, getting around our, um, sometimes our need to uh, avoid our experiences. So if there's a difficult memory or an emotion, uh, how do we practice more acceptance skills to be in, pre in uh, present with that emotion so that we can uh, persist in those actions that are going to be valuable for us? There's also being present skills. Uh, and this is probably the one that I think in some ways, stereotypically, we think of when we think of mindfulness. Uh, and this is really how do we stay con in contact with the present moment, uh, so just being here and now. Uh, and then also thinking about self as context, which is really recognizing that we're having certain thoughts and emotions and experiences in, in a particular context. Um, and then finally, we have do what matters. Uh, and this one's really tied to values as well as uh, committed actions that we can take. So really getting at that point of what kinds of changes we're going to make, um, often focusing more on our overt behaviors. And this makes up the core of acceptance and commitment therapy. So there's acceptance processes as well as commitment processes. Uh, and one of the nice things about this model is that it really focuses on both aspects of it. So I think a lot of times we kind of think of these two things as even competing, right? If we're, if we're really focused on acceptance, then 
commitment kind of cuts against it. Uh, and the ACT model really tries to balance these two focuses. So we're, we're focusing on acceptance as well as committing to change that we're going to make. Uh, and I always wanted to, I actually just wanted to quickly point out that um, I, I, I hope I never would have to show this slide again. Um, but I think right now it might actually be timely. Uh, when the pandemic first started, uh, Dr. Russ Harris actually released this uh, acronym, Face COVID, which was looking to apply some of these ACT strategies to uh, what's happening with, with COVID and the pandemic. Um, and it was a nice little acronym of really, you know, focusing on what you can control, uh, you know, acknowledging your thoughts and feelings, uh, coming back into your body, uh, engaging with what you're doing, um, and then also committing to actions, opening up to your experiences, um, fo following and pursuing your values, uh, identifying any resources and disinfecting and distancing. Um, I couldn't really find a, a good place to throw in masks and vaccinations here, but uh, I think it was a nice way to capture a lot of the different things we would be doing in ACT uh, in the current situation that we're, a lot of us are facing during um, COVID. So I wanted to just throw this in as a, as a reminder of how we can often put ACT into practice for, for different situations. Um, but I really wanted to focus today on the aspect of ACT, I think that's actually underrepresented in a lot of our, our trainings and our conversations. Uh, and that's really on the commitment side. And I think partly this is because the commitment piece is in some ways the older piece. It's the you know behavior therapy and, and change processes that we've uh, known for a long period of time. Um, and as a result, I think we tend to focus a lot more on the acceptance processes because they're newer, um, especially when we're thinking about mindfulness. Uh, that was one of the big additions that ACT was adding on to traditional CBT. So this was something that really became more of that focus. Um, but I do want to point out that on the commitment side, one of the things that's really important, and uh, I would probably even say one of the main things that drew me into ACT uh, was the focus on, on values and how that ties into committed action. Uh, and I think even with the time period we're in right now, where it's New Year's, uh, a lot of us might be you know, setting resolutions and, and looking forward in terms of setting goals. Uh, it's more timely to actually even focus on on the values and and the commitment action uh, uh, committed action piece. So what I want to do is actually quickly walk through what this actually looks like as part of ACT, um, and one just quickly clarify what we mean by values, um, and and specifically what we mean by values versus goals, um, and then also show you some exercises that we can do as part of ACT uh, if you wanted to work on some of these um, commitment exercises. So. Uh, very, very quickly, values are um, broad and ongoing. Um, so uh, unlike our goals over here on the other side, um, values are, are going to be something that we can't really achieve. They're ongoing. Uh, and they're more like a direction that we want to go into. Uh, and goals, on, in contrast, are actually things that we can achieve. So they're much more measurable and observable. Uh, we can often approach them step by step. Uh, and they have an evaluation criteria. So there's a very clear way to figure out if we actually achieve their goal or not. So we want to make sure that we have a clear idea of how these two things are different. And our goal here is really not to put them in, in competition with each other, but understand that we can uh, do both of them. And if we do both of them, that we're going to be more successful, uh, even at those goals that we're, that we're setting. So I'm going to go a little bit deeper into the values uh, piece over here and then just give a, a little bit more detailed description of it. Uh, and I'm actually going to read a quote by uh, Dr. Russ Harris, which I really like in, in terms of describing what values are. Uh, and he writes, values are like a compass. 
Uh, a compass gives you direction and keeps you on track when you're traveling. Uh, and our values do the same for our journey of life. We use them to choose the direction in which we want to move and to keep us on track as we go. So when you act on a value, it's like heading west. No matter how far west you travel, you never get there. There's always further to go. The goals are like the things you try to achieve on your journey. They're like the sites you want to see or the mountains you want to climb while you're traveling, uh, when, while you keep on traveling west. Um, so again, this is really just uh, drawing out that contrast of, of values really being part of that direction. And the goals might be the things that we either see or want to uh, achieve along that direction. So some other clarifying remarks about just values very quickly. Um, we often in ACT really emphasize that they're freely chosen uh, and, and largely developed through our experience. Um, and there's a lot of times where we have a lot of uh, uh, impact from other, um, other sources, whether it's other people around us or even uh, you know, media or, or other, other sources uh, that might be telling us things that we should value. So, uh, and in ACT, we really try to help the individual uh, decide on what their values are based on their experience. So what they actually value as they reflect on their experiences. Um, and again, we, we emphasize that aspect of it, that it's more of a direction, not a destination, uh, and that it's really continuous. So there's no real way to achieve your values. Um, I think we always make the joke that, you know, you can't achieve your values by Sunday. Uh, you can only continue to move in the direction of your values. Um, but of course, we also want to make sure that we're keeping this concept grounded. So um, our values are really substantiated in our actions. Um, so for us to be able to move in the direction of our values, uh, it's going to be through aligning our behaviors uh, to represent that value. Um, so here's some examples of, of what those values might look like. Um, you know, things like courage, friendship, love, compassion, security. Um, we can think of excellence, growth, justice, curiosity, and creativity. Um, but really, it can be anything uh, that could fall within that definition of more of a direction, a broad direction that we want to move in. Uh, and there's a lot of lists out there of, of different values. So this is a longer list that I'm not going to read. Um, but you can see there's a, quite a bit of, of different values that we can go through. And a lot of times, the value exercise is actually giving people uh, the options and even a list like this and having them um, identify which of these values might be things that they really relate to. Um, and that they personally value. Um, so there's a lot of different ways to, to do this, um, but there's also some guidelines that I like to give. Uh, and one of them is to make sure that we're not picking too many, right? We want to keep it simple uh, and prioritize what values uh, we're going to really select as part of our, our value exercises. Uh, and this is not to say that we actually remove things that off the list that we, that we value, um, but look for a, a way to make sure that we can summarize it uh, into a smaller list. Um, and a lot of the values actually overlap. So we can think of, you know, values of um, helping and, and compassion, and they might be close enough that we can uh, put them onto, uh, under one, one category. Uh, so if we want to make sure that our values are going to be helpful for us on an ongoing basis, uh, sometimes it's helpful to think about what are my three or five core values that I'm going to carry forward with me. And this really also helps in, in a functional way because when we're looking at our values, we want to make sure that we're using them as reminders and anchors, uh, especially in difficult times. So thinking about when there's a lot of other pressure on us, there's a lot of um, challenges that we're experiencing, our values can be a great way to anchor ourselves in, in the direction that we want to be moving towards, even when there's other, other forces that are pushing us in the opposite direction.
Um, it also helps to have the values uh, on the top of our mind because we're values are not going to be the only thing that are going to be drawing us forward. Uh, a lot of times there's other needs and desires that will also push us and pull us in, in different directions. Uh, and we can think about, you know, things, uh, things like that are um, important to us, things that we want to do because they're right versus things that are going to make us money. Um, or I always like to bring up health examples. We might really value health uh, and being healthy, um, but those cookies are still going to be just as tempting as they ever were. So we also want to make sure that we're we're able to clarify the difference between our, our needs and desires versus our values, um, and then also use our values in those moments of, of why am I going to make the hard decision of passing up on those wonderful holiday cookies. Uh, so we can use our values in a way to guide our behavior, um, again, to make it make our behavior more aligned with what those values are. Um, so that's kind of the overall um, guidelines for values in a very quick way and, and the definition for them. Um, I also wanted to go over some exercises, and, and I'll show you a demonstration of this in a, in a second. Um, but I would probably say one of the most common ways of doing this is actually a value sort, um, where we make a list of values and then put them on a card. And we often give people ways to rank these values for themselves. Uh, so they can you know, rank them from one to 10, what's most important to the least important. And this just gives people a way to explore all the different values on the table and try to make some decisions about what are gonna be more important and what will be less important to them. Uh, and there's a link down here for, for an online um, source where you can uh, do some online activities related to the value sort. Um, but this is actually a really good one, especially I think for school settings, uh, for if you're doing this with students, um, it's a really great way to to get students actively involved and, and taking a look through different values, especially if they haven't been exposed to a lot of the different values uh, that might be on these cards. It can be a good way for them to learn about it and, exp and explore if that's a value that they actually hold. Um, and a lot of times there's a, a fun modification of this, um, again, especially for, I think, young, younger individuals, but even for adults. Um, where instead of the individual themselves picking the values and, and, and sorting them in terms of importance, uh, we often ask another individual to sort it for them, just to give them the experience of someone else choosing your values for you. Um, and usually no one likes that experience. Uh, you know, we want to pick and choose our own values. Um, but that can be a really good experiential exercise in a way to get people to really see that in a more concrete way when someone else picks our values for us in a value sort. Um, we're generally not happy about it. I have a question. Um, so when we're talking values, um, like for example, I, you mentioned health and in my mind, I know that I should value health. I know that like my long-term goals, I want to be around for a long time. I want to be with my family. I want to be healthy enough to do the things that are, you know, important in my life to be doing. And then you mentioned, you know, the cookies. And right. so I know myself, I'm living in that, oh, that cookie is yummy. So I'm going to take that cookie. Um, so when you're sorting values, are you asking people to sort the values that they're, they're exhibiting and showing, or are these, could these be aspirational? Like, I know that health should be more important than what I'm doing. And so that should be a value that I, I'm working on. Does that make sense? Yes, definitely. Um, and it's, it's a hard, hard one because I, I think the, the one thing we don't want to do is pressure people into valuing things that they, you know, um, air quotes should value. Uh, so I think there, there's an element of we could certainly be at a place where we realize we're not being healthy. We really do value our health and, from what you're saying, you know, it's also tied to family and, and longevity of, of being around your family. 
Um, and I think as long as we recognize that, it doesn't matter if we're actually um, doing very good by that value, right? So we could be at the very beginning of our journey and just starting to make some headway in that direction. But it could still be something that we value. And I think a part of when we're doing ACT, especially in a therapeutic setting, um, is having people recognize that that is something they value, even if they're as far away from it as they can be. Um, and the idea is that you can always make that turn to move in that direction, no matter how you know how how long you've been moving in some other direction. Awesome, yeah. that makes sense. Yep. Um, so, and and that's actually a really important. Um, uh, it's a really good question because I think the one clarification I often forget to give too is that um, values are not often tied to success. Uh, and that's an important piece that you know, it's more of a direction that we're choosing um, and we're going to try our best to move in that direction. Uh, but it's not a guarantee or, again, uh, you know, that the idea that you're already successful in that direction and as a result, you can value it. Um, but as I was saying, like the value sword is actually a great way to do this. Uh, and one thing I quickly wanted to share was that there's actually um, during the pandemic, uh, wonderful people like uh, Jenna and Jason actually created uh, virtual versions of this. Uh, so if you're if you're still in a virtual environment or um, you know find yourself in one, um, there's actually really nice uh, digital ways to do this. And I'm gonna actually X out of my screen here. Hopefully, it's still we'll be sharing. Can you still see the PowerPoint? Yep. Okay. Um, so this slide, which uh, you you should have access to at the link uh, that shared. Uh, actually gives us digital cards. Uh, so we have some categories of here of this value is very important to me, this value is important to me, and this value is less important to me. And we can actually take this card over here. So hard work, I might say, that's important to me. And I can move the card over here. And then I have justice. I might say, this is you know very important to me. And I can actually keep going through this deck of cards, you know, peace, maybe peace is not that important to me, right? So I'm just making these up. Um, you know, helpfulness, not so much. Contribution, maybe I find that very important. Problem solving a little bit. Um, but this is just a nice digital way of doing the same thing we would do with cards. Um, the nice thing about this is obviously we can always clean up our deck and, and reuse this if we want to. Um, but the value sort isn't very, it doesn't necessarily have to be very complicated. Um, we can just have a, a series of cards, whether they're digital or paper, uh, and help people sort them into different categories to see which ones are going to be the most valuable for them. Um, we often even have students or, or clients uh, of all ages uh, write in their cards. So that's why we have the spare blank cards here. Um, we can even write ours in, right? So we can talk about you know healthy if that's not on there and, and use our own, own uh, specific values if we don't see it as part of the deck that's given to us. So just another way to actually be able to do the same exercise, but again, uh, in a digital format. Um, another way to explore this, um, and it's not exactly the same concept as values, is to look at um, character strengths, which is really kind of asking our question of, you know, what type of a person do I want to be? Um, what kind of character do I want to develop as an individual? And luckily, there's actually uh, a few good surveys out there. Uh, the one that I typically tend to use is the viacharacter.org. Uh, and this is actually a very long survey, so it's something that if you want to do, you have to, um, I think, set aside some a good amount of time. So it says 30 or 40 minutes. Uh, I've done this once, and it, it wasn't easy to get through all of those. Uh, it's 240 items. Um, and it is something that's difficult to get through, but I think it does give us a good way to explore 
our values in, in a different uh, format than, say, a, a card sort. Um, so here's an example of what the survey looks like. Um, and it asks a, a series of different questions that are a little bit indirect. Um, things like, you know, I experience deep emotions when I see beautiful things. Uh, I always speak up uh, in protests when I hear someone say mean things. Uh, and as you endorse these items, all 240 of them, uh, it gives you a, a profile of, of what might be your character strengths. So again, not exactly the same thing as, as values, but um, is often helpful in, in getting that exploration started. Uh, and this survey I, I've actually used with high schoolers. Um, there's actually an adolescent and an adult version of it. Um, and again, it's not necessarily something I do very often just because of the length of it, uh, but it can be a really good place for, for doing a, a deeper dive and exploring what your, your values might be. Uh, especially if you're not entirely sure by, based off of the terms you might find on a value card, um, this is giving you a lot more uh, specific questions that you can answer and, and see what that reflects back at you. Um, but my absolute favorite ways of, of actually exploring values, and then the one that I often recommend, um, is actually ideal narratives. Uh, and a lot of these are actually to help us separate out, I think, the, the success factor uh, when we think about values, and I think that's always a very hard thing to keep separate um, from what we actually do value. Uh, so the ideal narrative oftentimes is really helping someone write an ideal life. Uh, if they had a magic wand, they can remove all barriers. Um, what would their life look like? What would they be doing in that situation? Um, and of course, we can also um, contrast the ideal life with the not ideal. Uh, and have them write the opposite as well. So if, th if life wasn't going well, uh, if things were going bad, uh, what would that life look like? Uh, and this is just a, a writing exercise, a creative exercise to help, uh, again, identify those things that are gonna be really, really important. Um, so if we you know, recognize uh, friendship as one of our values, uh, that might be something that's gonna be very prominent in our ideal narrative, um, where friends and, and you know, social gatherings with friends is um, the, the big part of our ideal life narrative. So this is a, a fairly easy exercise, uh, assuming a you know, basic level of, of writing ability for, for the, uh, if we're working with students um, and for adults as well. And there's a lot of fun variations of this. Uh, some of them can be a little bit, uh, a little bit weird. Uh, so here's some uh, versions of it that I've done. Um, you can you know, do an ideal narrative uh, based off of a graduation speech um, where you're you know, either giving your own graduation speech or someone else is giving your, your graduation speech. Uh, and you want to write that highlighting all the things that represent you or things that are important to you. Same thing for a toast at a wedding, a retirement speech. Uh, and if you're, you know, want to get really morbid, your eulogy, um, which actually is a, a very common uh, part of a lot of the ACT exercises for, for values. Um, and I think it's actually a really good one. It's just, it's morbid. Uh, so it's a little bit harder to sell, especially when you're working with younger students, uh, but it's a little bit easier with adults. Um, but it can be actually a very powerful exercise uh, where you actually are reflecting, you know, back on what you would want people to say at the end of your life on what you stood for in your life. And a lot of times it's actually helpful to, uh, I think, even diffuse from certain situations, certain thoughts that we might be stuck in in, in the moment, right? If we're, you know, delayed on a project that we have to get in and we're stressing about a deadline that we missed, um, I often actually go back and, you know, think about uh, not necessarily a eulogy, but a tombstone. And, you know, I write here, you know, here lies Imad, he missed a deadline. And I always think of that in that context, it sounds a little bit silly, uh, right? It doesn't seem 
all that important in the grand scope of life. Um, but in the moment, we can really be caught into that experience and really fused with that experience. Um, but for our values, this can be an important piece, right? So what, looking back at our life, what would we want people to be saying? And if we want to have a little bit more fun with it, we don't have to just stick with the ideal narrative. Again, we can go the worst case scenario as well. So for all these variations, uh, you can imagine the, the worst speech being given uh, versus the best speech that's being given uh, to help you even further contrast the things that you want, would want to be um, representing your life versus the things you wouldn't want them to be representing. Um, there's also other variations of this. Uh, this one's a little bit more focused on self-compassion. Uh, so you can uh, pretend uh, like you're a friend writing a letter to yourself. Uh, and this is really to help cultivate that uh, compassion piece uh, and really reminding yourself of what's important. So if you are in a tough situation and you're struggling to you know, maybe um, find uh, comfort in that moment or even thinking about which direction you want to go into, uh, you can actually write a letter to yourself as if you're the friend uh, who's encouraging you and reminding you of what's important to you. Uh, so this is a nice way to, again, kind of take a different perspective uh, and help to highlight what might be important for you in that situation with the added bonus that you're also um, going to be adding a more of a compassion lens to, to the, the task as a whole. Um, I always think of this in terms of how we're often actually a lot more compassionate towards other people than we are towards ourselves. Uh, we tend to be very harsh towards ourselves uh, and you know much more judgmental um, than we would be with a friend who's struggling with the same situation. So um, this is a nice one in terms of flipping that and asking us to think about how we would approach ourselves as another person. Um, and here's just an, a little bit of a longer example. I actually use this one in class. Uh, I often actually will have my, my, my students, uh, sometimes you do this as an exercise. Uh, and it's not just actually on values, it actually focuses a little bit on uh, other act uh, processes as well. Um, but it's still a, a narrative that we write down. Um, so I'll just quickly read this. Uh, it's time for you to do some more imagining. Uh, in this exercise, you'll fast forward to five years from now and write a short story about what happened to you during those five years. Uh, really try to apply all your creative free thinking skills and don't hold back. Uh, this exercise may seem a little bit like make-believe or maybe even a little like, uh, like writing an essay in English class, but it's worthwhile work. Uh, and even if this uh, seems like pretend history shows that uh, to do something, you have to think about it first. So just a, a quick narrative, a, a creative exercise. Uh, and I usually give some very specific guidelines here, right? So we're going to imagine that we're, it's five years from now. Uh, we're also going to imagine that we've acted on our top three values, whatever those values might be for us. Uh, and we're going to write out our, as part of our story, uh, we're going to include three successes and satisfying experiences that occurred along the way. Um, but we're also going to write about uh, two things that went wrong, things that were obstacles or barriers uh, that got in our way as well. Um, so this is a little bit of a longer narrative. And again, it's, it is pulling from other other parts of ACT as well, uh, but also helps us not only identify what those values are, um, but also how we might have moved forward in terms of uh, moving in the direction of our values successfully. So just another way to be able to do the same, same value exercises. Okay, so uh, next I, I wanted to cover goals, but I also wanted to pause to see if there was any more questions or anything about values. Um, before I move forward in, in terms of goal. 
I don't have anything, Erica, Rebecca. You both have more experience with counseling, so maybe you have more functional questions than I do. Well, I guess, I mean, the, the thing that I think about anytime I'm reading about ACT is often how do, how could I translate this to, for young people? Um, and I've been working a little bit with it, um, with my students. And I find that this question, you know, that the, the feeling of, well, what am I supposed to value comes up a lot more strongly with young people, um, even than it does for us. So it really, I think helps to have some conversations around, well, um, just what do you care about? What's important to you? What what does your perfect day look like? So I'm thinking about how some of these exercises, um, even translated into conversations, into counseling conversations, could be so helpful for that, for, for young people to identify their values. Do you have any thoughts about that, of working with students and um, how to have them work on some of these exercises to identify their skills, their values? Definitely. And uh, before I actually answer that question, I also wanted to, uh, I would like to point out, and I actually rarely ever actually apply ACT in my personal practice in counseling situations. Um, so I've actually done a lot of work on in schools applying ACT at the classroom level and even having teachers lead some of these exercises for their classrooms. Um, and even uh, at least in some of our schools, even doing it school-wide. Um, so just keep that in mind that I think that a lot of these exercises, uh, even though they come out of acceptance commitment therapy, um, we often change that to be broader to acceptance commitment training, um, just to keep that perspective of, we, we don't necessarily have to make this a counseling activity. It could be even a social emotional learning activity as a lesson plan, um, where we're going over values. So we're actually introducing and even doing a little bit of psychoeducation, not necessarily responding to a, a challenge that might be happening. Uh, in the counseling room. Um, but I, I just wanted to throw out that clarification. Um, but in terms of actually addressing, uh, especially values, I think with younger clients in, in counseling, um, that is actually very challenging, um, partly because developmentally doesn't really map on, uh, especially for um, you know pre-adolescent age groups. Uh, and even with adolescents, values are really things that are um, you know, cognitively something that students are just starting to understand. Um, so they're not quite there yet uh, in terms of, you know, uh, they're, when they get to young adulthood into college or, you know, whatever they're doing post high school, um, values are going to be a lot more concrete of an idea for them. Uh, so a lot of times it is actually shifting the question to, you know, what's important to you? Um, uh, what do you see in other people uh, that you like? Uh, and making it more relatable like we do with any other thing uh, and making it more developmentally appropriate. Um, and a lot of times actually even helping the students recognize um, what they're telling us they, they value. Um, so a lot of times students will, you know, mention things that are important to them. And, and when they're mentioning certain things, we can, you know, think about how many times they're mentioning uh, their friends, how many times they're mentioning their family members. Uh, and we can use those as, as little nudges to help them, you know, see what's important for them. So if they mention their families a lot, we can you know, ask them, well, does it sound like families is something that you value? Uh, and we can even add that onto their card sort, right? And we can put families on there. Uh, if it's very young children, we can, you know, put pictures with that as well. Um, so there's modifications in that direction that we can make. Um, I do also like to kind of mention that there is not a lot of research there, uh, especially with very young children with, with ACT. 
uh, and, and doing the values work. So I am cautious when I'm doing that. Um, but I do try to use some of those modifications as I'm trying to apply them to younger and younger students. That's great. Thank you. I, I think I do like what you said about like listening to what they're sharing as a way in to help them notice. I, I also find that often their emotions, you know, they may not recognize that, you know, that their emotions show what they care about as well. But if they're coming in and they're really upset because, you know, the teacher gave them some feedback on their schoolwork that <laughs> that bothered them or, you know, to help them see that, oh, well, you you really care about doing well in school or you care about um, this project or something like that um, is a great way to get them to start to identify things that are important to them. But thank you. Definitely. Yeah. <laughs> Oftentimes in those heated moments, um, you know, we always um, say the opposite of what you're upset about often is at least in some some way a clue to what you might value. Um, and, you know, if the child is calm enough in those heated emotions, we can often look to see what those values might be. Um, but great questions on, on the value piece and then a good point for, for clarification as well. Um, so I'm going to move over to goals. Um, and goals, uh, I always like to include here, uh, even though the graphic here has verses, um, I really like to think of when we've, when we've done the values work, these are really valued goals. Um, so even though I think we're all probably familiar with goal setting and various ways of doing this with students as well as ourselves, um, in ACT, we really want to bring the values piece into what we're doing with the goals. Uh, and one other uh, thing that I always like to mention that's often involved in the ACT work is uh, thinking about our goals across different life domains or, or context. Um, and depending on which ACT um, you know, protocol or, or version that you're, you're using, um, there's often different categories that we often use. So just some simple version of this, we might be thinking about um, you know, how our values might apply to our relationships, our work, our personal growth or health or leisure. Uh, and we can set certain goals under each one of these categories. Uh, and then there's also a lot longer list, kind of the same variety, but um, which is a lot more, more categories so parenting, personal growth, spirituality, citizenship. Um, and really, this is just up to you if, it, if it's helpful in, in determining what goals you want to be setting um, uh, for, for the individuals that you're working with. Um, I often find the simple list is simpler uh, and it's easier to, to use. Um, but a lot of times people pick the, the more specific categories because those might be more, more important parts of their life that they want to be uh, addressing. Uh, but once we have all these things in place, uh, this is where we can really start to make sure that we uh, line up all these concepts together. So once we're in goals, this is where we really want to make sure um, we're going to be measurable and observable in our actions that are going to uh, embody those values. Um, so if we have values like friendship, we and that falls in our life domain of, of relationships, uh, now we can really start to set specific goals here. So we can have goals that we're going to spend time or maybe more time with our friends uh, we're going to start up conversations at a party. Maybe we're trying to make new friends. Um, we can call to catch up with old friends, uh, if you know, for doing calls and or maybe texting. Um, and we can even do things like writing a gra gratitude letter. That's how we we relate or connect with our friends. Um, but there could be a whole number of goals over here. Uh, and this usually becomes a place where we actually stop and and do a, a reminder that you know this is where. We want to make sure that we don't lose sight of the fact that this is embodying our, our value of friendship. 
And when I'm doing this in a school setting, oftentimes we have several students that actually may identify friendship as their value. Um, but we make it very clear that, you know, your goal might not be the same. So depending on how you're approaching your friendships, you might have different goals. Um, and that's okay, right? Our, our goals are going to be a lot, uh, you know, varied, uh, even if we have the same exact value, um, focus on our, our relationships. Some other things that I would like to mention is that obviously when we're, we're setting goals, um, we always have these protocols like our, our SMART goals uh, that help it uh, help our goals uh, to be more likely to be achievable. Um, and I actually like the SMART goal framework, even though I think a lot of times we don't actually follow the, the, the actual labels, right? It's not necessarily all that achievable or realistic or timely. Um, but I think the SMART protocol is actually a pretty good protocol. Um, but even here, uh, there's some modifications we can make to make it more aligned with acceptance commitment therapy, um, which might be just changing measurable to meaningful, right? To make sure that we're aligning with our values. Um, and I think measurable can easily be con contained in specific, right? So we make it specific enough that it's measurable. Um, and then we can even take something like achievable to make it adaptive. And the adaptive can be focused on is the goal likely to improve your life in some way. Um, and again, the, the, the part of achievable can fall over on the realistic side, um, but we're now making room for the the values piece, right? So what what value does it align with? Um, and I actually really like the adapt uh, adaptive piece because I think a lot of times we might set goals, but maybe they're not that important or they're not going to have that meaningful of an impact in our life. So it just reminds us to make sure that we're we're setting goals that are actually going to be meaningful and will actually improve our lives. Um, so I often just change some of the acronyms here. Uh, and these examples are actually from uh, Dr. Russ Harris's work. So he has a, uh, a nice worksheet where, where you can work through the SMART goals with, with this variation. Um, I always like to give a reminder, um, and I think it's, it's always uh, a good one of thinking about uh, scaling our goals. So we often have, you know, obviously small steps that we're taking towards our goals to maybe even having some sub goals. Uh, and it can be a very long time before we reach a big goal. Um, so those might be, you know, especially for students, a lot of times, you know, getting through school, getting through high school to college, and even if they go to graduate school. Um, and these can be very long, extended goals. Uh, and we want to make sure we spread out everything from the steps we're taking to the sub goals to the big goals. Things, again, that we're going to be very, very familiar with. Um, another twist on this that I think um, that I often tend to use as part of focus on acceptance commitment therapy um, is not necessarily just thinking about uh, our, our goals and actions that are going to be leading to something big in the end, um, but just thinking about what actions we can take over time that align with our values. Um, so, you know, uh, if we're thinking about actions that we can take, uh, we can think about this in very long term, right? How, uh, what can we do over a six-year period? And that might be, again, you know, graduating at a certain point in your educational career or, you know, working towards a big advancement in, in work. Um, we can also think about this in a smaller time period of, you know, what, what can we do in the next six months to move towards our values? Uh, what can we do in the next six hours, right? So making it even smaller, um, you know, it's pretty late in the day right now, but if it was earlier, we can think about what I'm planning on, on doing in the next six hours for my work. Um, but even going down to seconds, right? So what can I do in the next six seconds? Uh, that's going to be an action I'm taking towards my value. Uh, and a lot of times I like to give people options and help them even identify uh, different steps across these different time scales, um, just to recognize that whatever they're working at, whether they have six seconds or six years, 
they could still be taking some action to help them move in the direction of their values. Uh, even if they've started to move in another direction occasionally, um, they can always take those six seconds to start moving back in the direction of what their values might be. So there's different ways to think about how to uh, approach those goals um, once you've set them, um, especially just kind of, again, bringing in those concepts of values uh, into the, the work of setting goals and, and taking action. Um, and then the one reminder that I would like to give here is that whenever I'm doing uh, ACT, especially with younger uh, students, even majors, is, um, and I'll even, I'll even throw an adult in there, is that there's a ongoing tendency to mix up values and goals. Uh, and we might even clarify this upfront um, and really get that separation of understanding that values are more of a direction, whereas goals are gonna be much more specific and concrete things that we do in that direction. Um, but it's very easy to kind of sneak in goals as the value. Um, and I always like to give examples of when I used to work at a high school where a lot of the students were looking to get into very prestigious schools, uh, a lot of the Ivy League schools. And when we would ask them what their values were, they actually had a very hard time answering that question. Um, and a lot of times when we asked them, they would actually tell us getting into Harvard, right? That was what their value was. And, and we would actually use a lot of the uh, clarifying parts of the, the values piece and act to say, well, is that a direction or is that more of a goal? Is that something you can actually, you know, achieve one day? Uh, and they would actually recognize this. But then as we started to work towards putting a plan in place, how are they going to work towards a goal? Um, you know, say they have the value of growth and, and Harvard is one of the goals they might have along that way. Um, over time, we would find that they start to switch those again, right? So the, the value really becomes going to Harvard. So we often actually ended up doing um, similar exercises that I mentioned earlier, where we we're doing a, a value sort. Um, but now we actually do some discrimination training in the sense that we throw in some goals on, into those cards. And we help students um, work to sort out the values and then sort the goals under those values. Uh, and a lot of times, these are the values and the goals that they themselves have set. Um, but this becomes kind of a reminder exercise to make sure that they're keeping those two things uh, separate, but aligned, right? That having that valued goal rather than values or goals. So this I always put at the end over here, because I think as again, we start moving towards the goals, um, people tend to kind of confuse the two together. So a lot of times this becomes a good way to just as a reminder uh, and to make some same course corrections along the way. Okay. So just going to pause quickly again and see if there's any quick questions or comments on the goals before we move to the last piece on, on metaphors. I was just thinking, uh, and thank you for that clarification before about, because um, in my mind, you know, I, I was originally thinking about working, you know, on like an IEP goal with a particular student. And I can see how that, you know, could be done absolutely with ACT. But I, I think that broadening that and, and looking at a whole class wide or group wide or, and using some of the activities, um, that makes a lot, um, a lot of sense. And I, so now as I'm kind of picturing some of this, I'm picturing this on a kind of a grander scale. And um, I think that makes, uh, you know, a lot of sense. And even working with, yeah, students who are, you know, potentially going to Harvard and all these things that they still finding benefit in, in these types of activities. And I think benefit for us as, as school psychologists too, in the work that we do and, and looking through that scope to help us as we navigate 
um, our own, you know, difficulties in meeting timelines and deadlines and all those things. So thank you. Um, I'm looking for questions and comments and I don't see any questions or anything at this point. I do want to, though, before you move on, say that my, my district has canceled school for tomorrow because I have a snow day. So everyone go, yay for Rachel. <laughs> but that's <Exactly. laughs> uh, Well, hopefully we'll hear more and more cancellations for tomorrow. So, uh, but that's certainly good news. So now we need ACT to work through the jealousy and resentment that we have toward Rachel. <laughs> That'll be for the next session. <laughs> and that actually makes me think when you were um, asking Rachel about how, how values can sometimes, you can have a value, but not necessarily, you know, act in accordance to it. Mm-hmm. I, I feel as though when, when that happens regularly enough, if it really is a strong value, that's when probably you will feel some distress. Would you agree, Dr. Zahir, that like if I do value my health, yet I cannot control my Oreo cookie eating? Little free shout out to Oreo there. Um, <laughs> then eventually it's going to make me not feel well or like not happy with myself. Is that right? Yes, definitely. And I, I, I bring up the cookies because I've been eating a lot of holiday cookies myself. Um, so I think it's, it's definitely distressing. I think, the, and one of the things about ACT, um, uh, I, I, as I was showing earlier in the slides that, you know, there's there's many different components to it and we're focusing on the values and committed action piece. But one of the things that a lot of times we experience as we start to, um, you know, select that direction in terms of our values and make committed action is that we actually often experience more distress um, because we really identify that this is really important to us. And just like anything that we're trying to improve on, we're probably not going to be that great at it at first, right? So a few Oreos will make it through. Right? And uh, a few, you know, whatever we're focused on, we're going to first realize we're not maybe doing too good in it, right? We're not used to moving in that direction. Um, to you know, give even a more, more serious example, I often think about... Um, the value of, you know, we're thinking about social justice issues, um, you know, I think about anti-racism. And, and that's a topic where, you know, we, that's a value and, and a direction that I want to move in. Um, but a lot of times when, when, when I'm trying to do that, it's also helping me um, highlight all the ways I'm not doing that. Um, and that's very, very distressing. Um, so I think it's uh, a lot of the components of ACT actually, I think, play well together in that uh, a lot of the acceptance skills are actually very helpful for us in handling that distress, right? And we know um, when we're thinking about race-related work, there's a backfire effect where if we experience a lot of distress, we tend to actually get more ingrained in the perspectives that we're in and, and actually start to move in the other direction. Um, so if we're doing this work, especially if we're doing it for a very, very challenging situations, we really want to make sure we bring in, um, you know, how to be better at opening up to our experiences and being more in the present moment. Um, as, a, as well as committing to moving forward in terms of what actions we're taking towards, towards our values. Um, but that's definitely a good point. I think it it's, can be very distressing, uh, especially when we really recognize that this is a value that we want to move towards. I'm also kind of thinking too, um, like as we were talking with the health example and, you know, when I was talking about, you know, the reasons for, for you know, why health maybe I should be valuing health. Again, I I reference like my family and being able to do things with them. So I'm thinking about like, you know, maybe my value is more so family and that like I should though be, maybe my goals or some of my goals should be aligned to health, you know, tied into kind of family, if that makes sense. So 
and, and leading, you know, students in a healthy direction, maybe based on, you know, uh, I guess you wouldn't immediately think that health and, and family. So yeah, maybe I'm thinking my, my, my value is more family and that, you know, in thinking of that, you know, health would be an appropriate goal to, to get me more family time and to be more present for my family. Does that make sense? Is that kind of along the lines of? Yeah, I think, I, I think health could probably, uh, certain aspects of being healthier could be goals, right? You can say, I'm going to run, I'm going to eat healthier, I'll try to get better sleep. Um, but I think health could count as a value, like it's a direction you're always trying to be healthy, right? And it's not something you can, you can't like, you know, be on a diet till Sunday and then stop. Uh, and then you're, you're, you've achieved healthiness. Um, I think that's at least still meets the criteria for value. Um, but I think you're, you're making a great point in that. I think a lot of times we recognize that some values may not be the priority, right? And it's family is really the priority and health maybe is a second or, or a third priority underneath that. Um, and also it's partly there because it's actually helping the, the priority, which is the family. Um, so it's, it's a little bit individual, but they're definitely, um, often lead to conflicts of values, right? So I think I actually work with a lot of young adults who, um, were kind of in the same situation where they want to be healthy. They want to live long and, and be around loved ones. Um, but we're finding themselves spending almost all their time in a gym or, not being comfortable at social events because, you know, cookies are being served or food that they would find unhealthy. Um, and they were finding that that was conflicting with their ability to be with loved ones and, and the family that they also value. Um, so it was a little bit of finding a balance between, you know, being healthy, but also being with the family members. Um, and that does happen, right? So that's this value conflicts, even within yourself. Um, and I think it's, um, as part of ACT, we can try to help the individuals prioritize, not just figure out these are the three things that I value, but what's the priority out of the values that I hold? Totally. Yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. And because I'm thinking too about, um, you know, Rebecca and Eric who are avid runners and in the gym and doing all these things. And so when my initial is like, yeah, I, I value health, I don't value health, I feel like in the same way uh, that Eric and Rebecca do. And they're, they're so you know, I think they're more yeah in it for the health and and all the big things that I'm just like, you know, I would be more so in it for, <laughs> you know, right. adding an extra year to my life to, <laughs> yeah. you know, so different levels of yes. So I, I can totally see that. <laughs> and I can even see that change over time. Like I, I, for, I, I grew up uh, or when I was young, I was on a track team and I always enjoyed, you know, running and other other activities that are, you know, health, uh, that lead to health. Um, but as I get older, I'm actually concerned about, you know, longevity and, and being around family members. And, um, so in some ways, you know, that, um, that's grown for me in terms of what I value and why those actions are important. And I have more reasons for, for why those things are valuable to me now than I did when I was, when I was younger. Um, any um, other, we did have a question that popped up, um, just um, do you support doing ACT trainings online and do you recommend any in particular? Uh, I, I think there are a lot of great trainings online. Um, there is, I believe on, I might not get the website correct. I think Praxis um, has a lot of good online ACT courses. Um, the only warning that I give is that um, we know this from just um, our, our research in school psychology is that we really learn things by doing. Um, so I think online trainings are great for getting exposure, getting used to the concepts. Um, but I think the best way to do it is to, um, you know, find someone that can give you some supervised experience, uh, especially as you're 
applying these principles. Um, and I think that could be a, a great way to, to learn ACT. Um, and I think a lot of times, um, that's kind of what I've noticed is that a lot of people that get the online trainings, um, the knowledge certainly increases and they get exposure to the ideas. Um, but it can be fairly difficult to translate that into everyday practice. Um, I think especially as school psychologists, because I, a lot of the ACT work has been done in clinical psych and adults. So there's a little bit of a translation that we have to do when we're working within our settings and in, in school and for, for slightly different, you know, contexts. Any other questions or? I don't see anything else right now. Um, and I know that we're short on time and I want to be respectful of your time. So I'll yeah, pass it back to you for anything else. Sure. Uh, so I'll quickly end on this too. Um, and so one thing that ACT also often does and, and depending on how people practice it is uh, often using a lot of metaphors. So not getting too stuck in arguments or explaining, um, but really using metaphors to bring together a lot of the ideas. Um, so one that I really like, and it's one of the classics in ACT, is actually the passengers on the bus uh, metaphor. Uh, and this just is to help us remember the, some of the ideas that we're trying to relate as we're doing ACT with individuals. Uh, and the passengers on the bus is really this metaphor where we are actually the bus driver, um, and we might be headed down this value direction. And again, we might have some goals along that direction as we're, as we're going there. Um, and we notice that we also have passengers with us here. Uh, and these passengers are rowdy passengers, right? These might be uh, uncomfortable thoughts or feelings or memories or, or sensations that we might have. Um, and they're so uncomfortable that these rowdy passengers, oftentimes when they start to get rowdy and scream at us, um, they often make us actually take a detour, right? So moving away from those things that we value, right? they might even be threatening us, like we have to take this turn over here. Um, and as a result, we do it, right? So this might be where our anxiety is really increasing and, and we avoid something that might be important for us. So uh, we can think about this in terms of, you know, anything that we value and what might be certain things that show up for us, right? It might be a traumatic memory that really prevents us from moving in a direction that we really value or, um, you know, thoughts that show up that make it hard for us to move forward. Uh, we can also think about this in terms of uh, actual roadblocks or bumps on the road. So some external barriers that we might also experience uh, as we're trying to move towards our values. Uh, and these external barriers or bumps on the road could be time limits, resources, system or structural challenges uh, or relational challenges, right? Working with other people uh, that might also prevent us from moving forward in terms of what we value. Um, so as we're thinking about this uh, passengers on the bus metaphor, uh, we can kind of think about all these ideas together, right? So as we're driving down this road, uh, maybe in the direction of what we value, uh, first, we really have to make sure we got that direction right, right? We're actually moving in a direction that we value, not something that some maybe someone else values. Um, and as we're doing that, we want to be aware of the passengers on the bus and how they might even convince us to go into another direction. Uh, and even though that might, you know, uh, sway the passengers and they might calm down, uh, ultimately, that's not going to be helpful for us long term because now we're moving in a different direction um, that, from our own values. Uh, and even if we're moving in that direction, we want to be aware of the fact that there actually are bumps on the road. And that might require some detours or, or going you know, slightly in a different direction until we can get back. Um, but we can kind of think about all these things together and try to see um, using all the different act skills, not just the ones that I was covering today in terms of values and goals, uh, to better be able to navigate this landscape and, and continue to move towards our values 
even if it's not a straight line, right? So just all through all the bumps in the road, as well as uh, the rowdy passengers, um, still moving, um, you know, long-term in the direction of our values. So just a very, very quick metaphor to help remind us of all the, the ideas that, that ACT often covers um, and can be useful as an easy way to remember uh, all those ideas. Okay, so that's actually <laughs> exactly where I wanted to stop. And I know we're uh, pretty much at the end of our time here. Um, and that's probably uh, quite a bit of information on January 2nd. Uh, one quick announcement that I just wanted to make, and I hope this is okay. Um, we are actually starting a NASP uh, interest group on contextual behavioral science, which is actually covering uh, third wave behavioral approaches like ACT, as well as uh, DBT and other uh, mindfulness-based CBTs and mindfulness-based interventions. Um, and I'm doing this with my uh, colleague, Dr. Tyler Renshaw. Um, so if anyone is interested uh, and is a NASP member, we do have a link to our survey monkey over here. Um, and this is a group that we're hoping um, we can set up to really explore um, ACT as well as related approaches, especially for school psychologists. And even thinking about some things that I mentioned earlier of not just in, in counseling or in therapy, but also thinking about our broader uh, school systems and applying ACT in terms of um, you know, the whole school or in the classroom and in other contexts as well. So just wanted to throw that out there in case anyone uh, would be interested in, in supporting it. Um, we're looking to get enough uh, signatures to get the group approved. Uh, and once we do, we can start with some uh, fun activities. But other than that, I wanted to stop there and say thank you. Uh, my email is here if anybody wanted to reach out. Um, but again, thank you again for having me on the podcast and and uh, allowing me to um, you know express some of these ideas from ACT. Thank you so much. They're always fascinating and helpful. And I'm so excited about the interest group. Thank you for that. Yeah. Awesome. Um, I'm going to look at our schedule quick too before um, we break. I know that 116, it looks like we've got Dr. Brian McClure back to speak with us. So that will be exciting for everybody. But um, thank you so much. I mean, I, I love all the great functional things too that I feel like I could go and, and work with students uh, tomorrow if, if I wasn't on a snow day <laughs> yeah. and, and implement some of these things and have it and be enjoyable for them and, and worthwhile. So I think that's awesome. Yeah. And hopefully, um, you know, I, I, I should have mentioned that at the beginning that, you know, as school psychologists, these are probably things that we can do as well, right? What are our professional values? What are goals that we're setting and, mm -hmm. and how we can actually better move forward if we consider that values piece along with our goals? Yeah. That's great. It's very practical. Awesome. Okay. I'm going to I think we're all going to say goodbye then. Thank you, everybody, for, for joining us. Thanks, Thank everyone. Good Thank luck you. this week.